TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Connection. I am one of your hosts, Ann Baldwin. And I'm Lisa DeMattis. And we're both a little nasally right now. We're both (laughs) suffering from something. Allergy, who knows? I don't have allergies, but I got to tell you, this is two weeks now that this thing's been hanging on. And, you know, it just won't go away. Summer cold. No, I don't know what I... they said sinus infection, but I'm on, I don't know how many round now of antibiotics. Oh, so you do have a sinus infection? Yeah. I don't know what I have because I have this huge deductible because I own my own business, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, I just got to suffer through it, unless you have any extra meds you want to share. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so anyway, so I don't go to the doctor because, you know, I really don't try to fulfill my deductible unless I need like, you know, brain surgery or something. That's what it's for. You're not allowed to get that. It's unbelievable. I got to tell you, this whole system sometimes is just amazes me. Tell me about Absolutely it. Absolutely amazes me. And you work in it and you see it. And I do. And, you know, especially, you know, you talk about here I own my own business and I'm, you know, I feel I have a barrier to health care for financial reasons. How many people are out there, you know, that don't have jobs, that don't have incomes, that... Mm-hmm you know, also need access to health care, whether it's mental health care or physical health care, whatever it is, it's, uh, it's, it's just, so scary. it is scary. And, and especially I would imagine too, with the mental health situation, you've already got that. So to maneuver the system on your own, I know like in my recovery, I couldn't have maneuvered that system on my own. My family had to do it for me because I wasn't in my exactly. right mind. So, so how do people do it? And that's why, you know, organizations, frankly, like The Connection are out there because you're almost like, you know, I don't mean to make light of it, one-stop shopping, right? Well, we like to believe we are, yeah. We want to help people, you know, get through, help them maneuver the system and, you know, go back into the community and live successful lives. But part of that is learning how to maneuver all these things we're talking about. Right. Everyday life, all this stuff. It's a lot. How to get to step one. Exactly. So um, I'm excited because we have in studio today um, Jessica Smith, and Jessica is the Deputy Chief of Clinical Development and Operations for The Connection. That's a very big title. Um, Also, it's The Connection Center for for Behavioral Health. So you've been doing this a long time, 14 years um, in overseeing mental health care for children and adults, but you're fairly new to The Connection, so welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have Jessica on our team. Welcome Jessica today to the show and Jessica comes with a wealth of experience that the agency was clearly lacking as we move forward in our new endeavor with our behavioral health centers. So I am happy to have Jessica here. Thanks. That's great. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you've brought into the connection 
to do because the connection's been around a long time. And, you know, Lisa, I think you've said this numerous times on the show as a president and CEO of the connection, you know, you've got to change with the times. You've got to change like any company, change with technology, change with research, change with, you know, insurance reimbursements, all those kinds of things. So this is really, Lisa, um, from what I understand, you brought in Jessica yes. as a change agent. Yes. And, and it's and been so amazing. I can't, you know, today we had a meeting, right? We talked about mm-hmm. where we've where we've been and how we're evolving. And uh, Jessica, you know, is filling us in and meeting uh, with the staff and making some changes that are really improving the betterment of the clients that we serve and their families. And so the fact that we've, Jessica, in a small amount of time has done this incredible amount of work, I can't even think about. I'm excited to think about actually the future and what that holds. And, uh, you know, she's going to talk to us today about, you know, who she is and what she's done with the connection to make us greater than ever. And I'm excited. Hard to imagine. So what are some of the things that you've been tasked with doing? It sounds like you've had a lot on your plate in a short period of time. (laughs) (laughs) So we've changed everything, including our name. Uh, we, We went with the Center for Behavioral Health because we feel like it better reflects some of the work that uh, Lisa has been um, so generous in allowing me the opportunity to do with the connection. Um, the Center for Behavioral Health is, in our mind, is part of a larger medical home. So just like you were talking about individuals who have complex um, challenges in front of them, they need to navigate complex systems. So um, people come to the connection for outpatient therapy. Uh, the center currently serves adults, so individuals 18 and older. Uh, in, a, in an outpatient way. So you have a high degree of independence. You're coming to a scheduled appointment like you might go to a scheduled appointment at your dermatologist. Mm-hmm. So the presumption is that you are organized and well enough to get to that facility. If you aren't well enough, you call 911 and an ambulance brings you, right? And so by design, outpatient is intended to serve individuals who are at a certain level of functioning. And yet, to your point, we do see people every day who are experiencing incredibly complex issues. Um, They come to us uh, sometimes referred by court. They come to us referred by the Department of Children and Families, or they come to us because they realize they've they've hit a critical juncture in their life and they are, you know, in, in grave need of help. But Nonetheless, the people that we see in outpatient aren't exactly the same as what doctors are seeing for their routine caseload. Um, I think all behavioral health providers are of the mind that uh, our patients' needs have become more complex over the years. And uh, I'm not sure how true that is. I think that we have just needed to evolve and change to better meet the needs, right? So insurance is changing and uh, people's entitlement, Medicaid expansion. Um, There are less opportunities for organizations to have grant funding to do the services. There's a much larger focus on integrated care, but revenue generating programs. So programs that are fee for service, meaning you deliver a service and you bill an insurance company or you bill the individual who received the service versus receiving a lump sum of dollars to provide uh, services with a certain amount of staff and to yield, you know, X, Y, and Z outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's a different approach. Um, much of the Connections business has been around grant-funded programs, and the focus um, from the board and from Lisa has been to continue to enhance uh, the outpatient service line, and that's where we kind of landed on renaming 
and taking opportunities like this to talk about uh, some of the things that we can do to help people. You know, it's interesting that you said, you talked about some of these people are referred by court, some people are referred by DCF. What I didn't hear you say is some people are referred by their primary care physician. Mm. And, you know, it brings up a really interesting point because I remember like maybe a year or two after I had, I had a year or two of sobriety, I was at my primary care physician and she said to me, you know, we were talking about, you know, some sort of a medication that I'm, I might need or something. And I said to her, you know, I'm an alcoholic. And she, she just like got so nervous and kind of shut down because she didn't know how to respond to that. And then I remember another visit and she said, well, cause you told me before that you're a, um, she couldn't even say it, mm. you know, and, and I'm really thinking that, you know, part of this referral should really come, you know, cause that's where people will go, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talk about, you know, if you've uh, broken your finger, you're going to go to a doctor and that's really the first point of entry, mm-hmm. um, to get to the point where you might need to be. And if they can detect it and put you in the right place, that would just seem to make sense to me. Exactly. Right. So it's really important to, to address the whole person's health care needs. However, our system of health care is really focused on the issue or the symptom at hand. So the primary f- care physician is treating diabetes or they're not treating your alcoholism. And so they're going to, um, some primary care physicians are only going to focus on the issue you presented with and not the whole person. So um, being a person in recovery, there might be some preferences for you around what medications you will and won't take right. for whatever, if you're going in for heart palpitations and you are in recovery, is it the best decision to focus on cardiac issues or should we perhaps be talking about your mental health and where you are in terms of identifying what might be going on what are you thinking what are you feeling what do you do when you when this this yeah, heart that would, palpitation arrives. Right. That would probably be a long visit, too. I mean, you know, it's like you can't, I know that, you know, things are slotted in time frames. But one of the questions, too, and, and Lisa, maybe you can even chime in here, too. So what kinds of treatments are you talking about? That's one question. And maybe this question, sh- that question should go after this question is, so who are the people that you treat mm. in the outpatient uh, therapy environment? I think the perception has been that we treat court-mandated clients. Correct. And that's that's not true. Um, no. We treat court-mandated clients. We certainly do. And we welcome the opportunity to focus on their mental health and substance use issues and provide excellent care. In addition, we also see people from all walks of life in Correct. the Centers for Behavioral Health. We do. Like? We see people who, I think, the, the, non, the non-traditional client, the perception has been it's court-mandated clients who they must come to therapy or they will go back to prison. We see people with um, commercial insurance from suburbia who are suffering from, um, let's say, severe depression and alcoholism for 25 plus years and aren't sadly referred by their primary care physician, but perhaps have reached a point where they've had so many negative consequences or they have... um, recently gone into the hospital and been referred after an inpatient stay to an outpatient care facility. We offer services to anyone who is in need of, you know, high quality outpatient care for mental health and substance use disorders. You know, and does that work, Lisa, because, you know, you talk about court mandated and, you know, in my program, I attend meetings and some people go to those meetings because they need to get a little slip of paper signed off on and it's court mandated. And this is just my observation, but more on 
on more than one occasion. I see it, you know, they're just there for the get there, do it, get that signature and get the hell out, you know. And, you know, does it work when people are kind of forced into the situation? Do you find that it works or? I mean, I think it depends. It depends on the person. But the reality is that you, when you have uh, an experienced therapist on the other end that you're meeting with, they're there to assess your needs and, you know, assist you in, you know, looking at, you know, sort of emptying your suitcase. All right, what what is your, are you holding on to and what do we need to work on? It's pretty evident if someone is there, you know, for themselves and really to get better or are they there because they're being, you know, pushed to be there. And there's a reporting structure and all things that go on when you're, you know, sort of coming in. But this is really holding someone responsible, attempting to hold them responsible to why if they are court mandated, right? But again, you, you know, we can't, we're not God, so whatever you believe in, you can't predict why people are there. I think I do, I do get the meeting thing that you're talking about because, you know, certainly we've seen that. But the difference here is that we see people, yes, we see those, we see, you know, who are these people? We're labeling them. I think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. We see, as Jessica said, every walk of life, all different types of people, you, you don't have to be obviously court mandated to have a substance abuse, mental health issue. Many, we know many people that are walking around the street, you know, fortunately or unfortunately or functioning in full-time jobs mm -hmm. that, you know, are suffering and need outpatient. And the, I think the beauty of outpatient obviously is that you're able to go to work and do those certain things that you need to do, but at the same time, you're taking care of yourself. And um, I also think it's important for people to know that if you do go to an inpatient stay and then you're getting out, mental, you know, substance abuse and mental health is a lifelong process, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to go to an outpatient facility, you know, I think is the ultimate, you know, to take care of yourself so that you can maintain all of those other things going on in your life. Right. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Jessica Smith. She's the Deputy Chief of Clinical Development and Operations for the Connection Center for Behavioral Health. And it's great to have you in here. And also, if you're out there listening and you're interested in today's topic or any of the resources that we talked about today or in previous shows, you can go to the website. That's really your best bet. And it's theconnectioninc.org. That's theconnectioninc.org, and they also have a toll-free 855 number, and that number is 855-435-7955, and again, The Connection Inc. And Lisa, I'd also add that when you look at something like addiction, for example, the progression of someone's addiction typically takes the face of increasing consequences to that to their use. So because people are court mandated and they might be disengaged because someone else is making them go doesn't mean that that time spent in treatment is for nothing or that time spent Correct. in an AA or NA meeting. What we know about addiction and recovery is that it is a process. And so someone will typically enter treatment multiple times before it sticks quote-unquote. They'll also have um, periods of abstinence followed by a relapse and then returning to treatment. So we welcome the opportunity to help people at all phases of their recovery. They might be pre-contemplative about the fact that there's even a problem. Right. And they've experienced legal consequences to 
let's say, their substance use, that have had them interface with a place like the Connection. So through probation, they've gotten referred, they need to have a, an outpatient evaluation. But during that evaluation, we're going to assess the whole person. We're going to look at their mental health, their substance use, their treatment history. What are their needs at this time? We're going to take a solution-focused approach. We're not going to focus on the problems. We're going to focus on formulating a plan for them that's going to return them to their desired level of functioning. So court is the means by which they have, in, you know, intersected, yeah. right? They've arrived at our door, but we can leave that and say, we're glad that you found us. Mm -hmm. was, we call it in recovery, planting the seed. Mm. Someone has to plant the seed. And if you, you know, the seed doesn't always grow right away, or maybe the seed does, you know, it's like anything else. But to your point, that's a really good point, actually, is that you're at least putting that nugget of knowledge or, you know, for somebody who's in despair, maybe they haven't suffered enough consequences yet in their mind. They suffer more consequences, but they go back to where they should have been in the first place, mm -hmm. right? So where are some of these centers that you, that you run across the state of Connecticut at The Connection? We actually have seven locations across the state. We have two in New Haven, one in Meriden, one in Groton, Old Saybrook, Middletown, and Norwich. And to enter services, they simply call to schedule an appointment. We'll do a full assessment and we'll make recommendations about what's appropriate. So people don't need to worry about inability to pay. We have opportunity to work with them with a sliding fee scale. We accept all kinds of insurance. We accept Medicaid and Medicare. We're able to do that full assessment and make recommendations about what the next steps might look like, whether those be outpatient or they may be inpatient, depending on how they present. Okay. And one of the other things is, you know, talk about a little bit, if you can, with medication management mm -hmm. and how that comes into play. Because, again, editorializing from, from what I've seen, um, a lot of mental illness and people that I know with mental illness, um, they're treated with medication. Mm -hmm. And is that the right treatment? Maybe in some cases, but you're the expert. Mm. So our approach is medication in combination with therapy. So we have a very strong focus on the treatment. So what are the clinical needs of the individual? Matching them to the right therapist, to the right level of care, how intensive, how many days a week, what does that look like? And then if medication management is appropriate, we do offer that in our centers. You attend a psychiatric evaluation, which is a, a full workup of what your needs are in that area, and medication may be prescribed. We can maintain you on those medications, adjust them as appropriate. The focus is on treatment with medication as a component of the larger picture of things that we can offer. So again, these are the types of um, evolutionary steps that we've made um, at our behavioral health centers. And so we're offering a really plethora here of services and availability statewide for folks to come in and really seek the treatment that they need. And, you know, I think sometimes the first step is just giving, you know, giving a call, giving us a call and reaching out and having us do an evaluation on you and, you know, helping you find your way. You know, you've been... Uh, involved at the connection for how many years now, Lisa? Twenty-seven, I think. Twenty-seven. Yeah, twenty-seven. You know, from from CEO to CEO, twenty-seven years at an organization. Now you're the president and CEO. Was it hard for you to say this has to change? I mean, this no. is a, this is a huge overhaul. I mean, no, not at all. It's not hard because, you know. The ability to see the agency grow from a point 
of where we are now, not the mom and pop that we were, staying in tuned with what the trends are in the state, understanding, being up in the legislative office building, talking to my peers in the state, also having the experience of, at one time I, I ran these, the, the centers way back in the day. And so understanding the clientele, understanding the needs, and also doing my own research on what we need to do as an organization to stay in front of this crisis that we have. It's not getting better, right? We know by our waiting list, we know by what we read every day. Um, no, it, I knew we needed to go there, but again, we're only as good as, you know, the staff that we bring on board and, you know, having the skills and the ability and the people, you know, behind the scenes, like Jessica and her amazing team to really, you know, push this over. So no, it really, it's not. I mean, this is what our organization is about, evolution, and we are in an amazing, amazing phase right now of this organization and moving fast forward and doing the right thing for our community. So it feels great. And it, no, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. And you bring up a good point. You said what, you know, for our community. And so whether I'm seeking treatment at the connection or not, I'm benefiting it from it. And so is everybody else out there in our state and in our environment. So there's a benefit to me, too, that people with mental illness are getting the right types of therapy and getting the right types of, of care. So the social benefits of that, I got to tell you, I remember probably 25, 30 years ago when I was doing a story at Channel 30, and I was in downtown Middletown, and I could not believe the environment and the folks that I saw that were walking around downtown Middletown. Now, you fast forward to today. So a perfect example of progress, treatment, and talk about the benefits to our listeners out there who say, why am I listening to this? Nobody I know and I don't have mental illness. What's in it for me? Why do I, why do I give a crap? Two things. One, you would be very surprised perhaps then to that individual. They would perhaps be very surprised at how many of their friends, neighbors, and loved ones do have substance abuse and mental health issues. That goes, that really speaks to stigma and how people don't, you know, openly share as often as perhaps they don't feel, they don't feel safe. So as often as we might think that they have major depression or they have anxiety or they have, they're an alcoholic in recovery or they're not in recovery and they desperately need help. So I think people would be very surprised to know how many of the individuals around them in their closest circle do in fact have mental health and substance use disorders. The other thing that I would say is that the worst thing that we can do is not provide services to the individuals. One of the worst things that we can do is uh, underestimate how many people around us are suffering from mental health and substance use disorders. So someone who is saying, what's the point? Is, is missing the point that so many people around you, your loved ones, your neighbors, your friends, your family, have mental health and substance use disorders and, and are not talking about it because of stigma. Let me ask you this. Is there a way, because you're the experts here, is there a way to check in with somebody? You know, I just had lunch with someone I hadn't seen in a long time. Is there a way that I could kind of check in and just... Is there a question you can ask somebody just to see how they're doing, or do you just say, how are you doing? I think you ask, and you're, you're willing to listen. You're really willing to listen to the response. Because I did that, you know, um, today I asked, how are you? 
because I had lunch with somebody a couple weeks ago and they said, how are you? And they kind of leaned across the table and looked at me and they were looking for more of a response and I'm great or I'm okay. No, how are you? Like they wanted me to talk. They were checking in. And I think we need to do that more with people. We just assume that everybody's okay and they're not, right? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I think of just the weekend or, you know, when I'm not in quote unquote work, which, you know, we're always working, but, and just the people that I spoke to in my own life, you know, you're always hearing about, I'm, it's pretty rare not to hear about someone who's suffering from mental health or addiction or some type of struggle. And I think that it happens all around us. I, I think it, or maybe it's people to, are talking somewhat about it more now because it's more acceptable, like the Me Too movement. Everybody now is, oh, that, you know, this happened to me, or, you know, people are having these discussions. But again, I think it's, again, like Jessica said, it's more prevalent than people understand or know. Mm -hmm. and, pe and there are people who don't want to share. Mm -hmm. The worst thing that we can do is, is not provide services to those people. Exactly. Right? So people who are in need... They, they deserve the opportunity to receive services. They do. So, you know, the first thing is many, many people suffer from mental health and, and substance use disorders, much far more than we think. And the second is those those individuals are, they have the right to receive services and to, to not be stigmatized. And so when you talk about your experience seeing Middletown evolve over time and the access to services improve, we, we are certainly proud to be part of that picture. Um, but as a society, if we did not continue to have this be a focus and we did not continue to uh, provide it as a resource, it absolutely would have an impact and does as we cut services on all of us. Mm -hmm. And how do you know the severity of your potential problem, you know, is that part of what you or folks are trained to do at the connection? You can assess, you know, whether it's depression or whether it needs to be, you know, there's some sort of a prescription to level people out. I mean, that's part of what you're trained to do, right? Because yes. I'm, sh I'm certain there's different levels mm -hmm. of all of these things. So one person might be a milder case than somebody else who might be a more drastic case, but that's why you're talking about it might be inpatient, it might be outpatient. Mm -hmm. It just depends. You, you really treat the individual based on what they need. We do. So uh, our assessment is individualized. However, we do ask a, a set of questions to assess someone's history as well as what's happening right now in the moment. So what is your mental status at the moment? And by history, what has happened around your family? You know, is there a history of substance use and mental health issues there? Who in your family? What kinds of treatment have you tried before? Are, are there medications that have worked for you or not worked for you? Do you have preferences in terms of the gender of the therapist you work with, the type of service that you receive, the setting in which you receive it? We try to be as standardized in our risk assessment as possible. So what kinds of risks do you present now? That's why I said anyone can come in and have an intake assessment, and depending on what their needs are, we will match them to whatever services they are, ours or others. We, we know the resources that are available out there as well. We're constantly assessing level of care and risk in the moment. You know, what's the word I'm looking for where it's generational? It's, it's secular, right? Mm -hmm. Like with alcoholism. Generational cycles. Generational cycles. Thank you. So my grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad's an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. And if my question is, and this is self-serving from a certain degree, but to a certain degree, um, if it stops 
with one generation, can you stop the cycle? Can you, can you end it? Like with mental illness, with alcoholism, if people get the help and the services they need, can it not go to the next generation to the next generation? Well, so what we know from research is that our genes are part of it, mm. but our environment and our lifestyle are another, are a, probably the um, most important component to look at when you are formulating a plan to change. So if genes were everything and genetically you were predisposed to alcoholism, then that would mean you can never get better. But we know people do get better right. and recovery is possible. And that's because we make changes in our lifestyle and our environment, people, places, and things, right? right. And some of them are, you get a good therapist, right? You, you change the people you hang out with. You might have to quit your job because it's triggering a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, you make all these radical changes. Right. You might have to leave a relationship. So you change the people, places, and things, and then you start to piece together a life that works for you without alcohol. So I would say genes are a part of it. But the, the bigger slice of the pie there, we know from the research, is the environment and the lifestyle. Wow, this is great. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jessica Smith. And again, if you're looking for more information um, on the Connection Center for Behavioral Health, um, you can contact them. They can, you can go on their website at theconnectioninc.org, or you can also reach out um, at their phone number, which is 855 435 seven nine five five so we're going to take a, a quick break we want to uh, thank all of you for listening to this edition of the connection and lisa next time hopefully we won't be as nasally hopefully we'll be cleared up from uh, our sickness whatever it is whatever it is and thank you again for listening to this edition of the connection right here on wtic news talk 1080 platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports that clock at four Donchich. the step back three you bet music you set my world on fire yes, and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on tune in go to tune in.com or download the tune in app to start listening